Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Everybody, how are you? Come on! Really? Good morning. Well, I'll tell you what. Good morning, Mecca. Good morning, those of you online. Maybe you'll respond a little stronger than that. I don't know. What a great day it is to be in the house of Jesus Christ. Right? What an amazing time. You know why? Because he's going to meet with us. How do I know? Because he always does. And so I'm grateful to open my heart today, my mind, and allow God to resonate with me. How about that? Are you? I am grateful today because God has been moving in different ways upon people. And the beauty of the church is when one of us is down, someone else is up. And so we are able to uh, rely on one another for that up. And God is good about directing us to the people that help us. And I also know that ability is at foot. or It's a foot. It's, It's always around us. And whenever the church is moving well, regardless if it's the church universal or uh, the church in a, in, a, in a town or the church in an individual corner or a street, whatever it is, when it's going well, Satan shows up. He always has. And if you think for a second, he doesn't show up here at Free Life, you're wrong. In fact, he's the greatest attender of our services of anyone. Why? Because he can't stand it. And so when things are going well, I always go, where is he? What's going on? Surely somebody is going to get their shorts in a wad about something. Something's going to be done or said that somebody doesn't like or understand. Something's not going to happen that they think it should. And nine times out of ten, it's a situation where we don't have all the information. Just about always. But we're quick to judge, second guess, point fingers, and generally keep our eyes focused on other things rather than him. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, I'm the almost noticed it lately. You, have you noticed it? We don't seem convinced. Who's noticed it? Well, I got news for you. If you haven't, see me and I'll show you. Okay? Because that's what he does. And yet, uh, uh, Tony Evans is one of my favorite authors, uh, speakers, and general uh, uh, pastors. Because you know, even though he's Baptist, uh, he, he has a different little theology than I do. But Tony is brilliant in his presentation of things. And any of you guys have gone through uh, some of the uh, workings of different Bible studies and things that we've done, you know what I'm talking about. He always has a way of positivity, doesn't he? And I could use a little positivity. Anybody want some positivity? Yeah. So take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Going to talk with you today about winning, (laughs) because we all like to do that. At least I like to win. Friends, you're going to have to do better than that. I'm going to bring the, pul- the pulpit down there. And I might just move around a little more. No, Pastor Jonathan says no. That's fine. Then you come up here and you take a look at who's not responding or listening and you can give them a nudge. Fair enough? Okay. From back there? Okay. You don't believe us, do you? Uh, it just may happen. Winning. I like to win. I'm excited because... For you Cub fans, I'm sorry the last two nights. You haven't done so well. Okay? White Sox seem to be a little bit better team than the Cubs are. I know I'm going to get grief for that for sure. But I've been waiting a long time for this to happen. All right? And you know what? I'm grateful because one team was starting to fail uh, and knew that they were probably gonna, weren't going to go to the postseason, so they had a fire sale and got rid of some of the contracts that they had, and it benefited us, and they're just going to rebuild, and they're going to be better than they were. That's a fact. I know that because we just did it. And God, in the same manner and way, 
takes things that were meant for bad and uses them for good. Have you ever noticed that? He always does. And sometimes God has to rebuild me. And I don't like the rebuilding sometimes. Anybody? I like things the way they are. Thank you very much. God, I don't need you to do that. And God says, yes, I do. Just like he told Peter, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. And every now and then, I don't need a full bath, but I do need a little cleaning up, a little brush up, a little drawing of attention toward where he is. And the Apostle Paul is talking about that in 2 Corinthians. going to read this passage out of the New American Standard and the New Living today. You're going to get it twice, and there's a reason why. I want you to grasp the depth of what Paul is talking about. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Well, now, wait a minute. I have to tell you the truth, I don't always feel very triumphant. I don't always feel like I've won. I don't feel like things are hunky-dory. Because I'm in, in the dumpster, so to speak. I've been there a time or two. Anybody with me here? But you just said, Paul, that every time Christ leads me to triumph. Doesn't feel like that sometimes. Have I got your attention yet? But beyond that, it, he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Again, that's another thing I don't quite grasp because I'm not sure I smell anything sweet. For we are, he said, a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. Well, that I get. But sometimes I'm in such uh, discomfort. I'm in such pain. I'm, and, and sometimes my attitude is so stinky that I'm not a sweet Roman to anybody, even amongst those who are perishing. Now, never you mind that I should know that I have salvation and know where I'm going to go ultimately, and they don't. You would think that should change my attitude, wouldn't you? But Lord, help us, it doesn't sometimes. And he says, to the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, aroma from life to life. Now, it's real simple. There's death and there's life. One leads to death is always going to be death, and one is life and is always going to be life. That's just the way it is. And you choose which one you're going to live. Real simple. One life is death, one life is life. And unfortunately, in this world today, you could be walking side by side, and just like that in an instant. One goes with Christ and one stays on earth, and that's just the way it is. And yes, you, you're the one that chooses that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit further today. And he says, and who is adequate for these things? Well, really, none of us. For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Now, maybe you didn't quite grasp what he just said there. Which is why I'm going to read it this way. But thanks be to God who made us his captives and leads us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now wherever we go, he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the good news like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a fragrance presented by Christ to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those being saved and by those perishing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Amen? To those who are perishing, we are a fearful smell of death and doom. Wow. I never considered that, but that's what he's saying. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for a task such as this? You see, we are not like those hucksters. I love that word. And there are many of them, he says. And they've got to be people in the church, you know. They've got to be people in the church. He differentiates between the saved and the unsaved. And then he talks about the hucksters who are peddling something. And they have to be in the church, otherwise they wouldn't have anything to peddle. And he says, there are many of them, who preach just to make money. We preach God's message with sincerity and with God and Christ's authority. And we know that the God who sent us is watching us. Friends, this is huge. Because it doesn't necessarily just have, have to be money. Some people are in ministry or in authority in the church because of what it brings them, because of what it affords them. 
Power, money maybe, popularity maybe, uh, being in charge maybe, whatever. There are people in the church, get this, that seek authority. They seek it, that desire it, that want it. They crave it. Why? Because they want their way. And oftentimes people that want their way, not only want their way in the church, but they want their way in their Christianity too. Not just with God, but their brand of it. Now I've been talking about that for months now. And I have to tell you, it's a dangerous place out there today because unless you are completely grounded in the Word of God, chances are you won't know what's God's Christianity and what's a brand of it that somebody made. And I got news for you. If God didn't make it, no matter who is peddling it, Satan made it. Did you hear that? If it doesn't come from God completely, I don't care who's peddling it. It comes from Satan. Man. Whoo. Anybody? Yeah. I want to be real careful about that. And I hope you are too. And I have to tell you that there is a statement, I think, that lasts for all time. In Jesus Christ, God is at work. And in all things, he does so to bring out every possible good for those who love him and who are seeking to please him in life. You see, God is always at work in every single thing, whether it's good or bad, or what your perception of it seems to be. And he does it to bring out every possible good. God wants to give you or effect upon you every possible good. And you know what? somebody somewhere is going to read that or hear it and say, why doesn't he then? Well, he has. You just don't recognize it or you don't believe it. And if you don't believe that God works for the good of those who love him, then you have a problem already. You're never going to see it. Either God is your father, your savior, and your everything, or he isn't. You can't come in and out, right, of God's glory when you feel like it. it. It's either you believe it or you don't. You're in it or you aren't. And I think, unfortunately, in the church today, because I'm not talking about it to unbelievers, I think in the church today, and this is what Paul seems to be saying, I think in the church today we have a lot of part-time Christians. A lot of sometimes I'm in, a lot of times I'm out because I like control things the way I want to and when I can't, then I'll go back. We're going to talk about more in that regard. But God is at work in all things to bring out every possible good for those who love him, who are seeking to please him in life. In fact, Paul's clear about that in Romans 8, 28. And he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to this purpose. You see, Every one of you, if, if, if you believe in Christ Jesus, have been called for his purpose, not yours, for his. And the sooner we get a handle on that and begin acting like that, the better off we're going to be. Amen? See, I think people come into a church wondering what they can get out of it. Uh-oh. Did you come to church this morning wondering what you were going to get out of it? <laughs> Come on, be honest. You see, you can't come for that reason. I didn't say you're not going to get something. I said don't come for that purpose. And, and you know, friends, the beauty of that is that you come because you're called to God's purpose. And while you're in God's service and working for his purpose, you'll receive more than you ever could otherwise. That's, that's just the way it is. I think Coach Taylor was right in facing the Giants. When he told his ball team, and all of you have probably watched this, said, you know, why do we play football? And the boy said, well, to win. He said, no, no. If, you, if you're here just to win football games, then you've missed it. You're here for way more than that. You're here for way more than that. We're here to honor God, is what he said. We're here to honor God as individuals and as a team. And as such, since we're here for his purpose, 
God can give us wins or not. And we're going to praise Him when we win, and we'll praise Him when we lose. Because as long as we've given everything we have and given our very best, our personal best in everything, and we win, gravy. If we don't, keep your head high. And praise Him. And I don't think that was ever more evident to me than it was when Larry Bird in Indiana State went head-to-head with uh, Magic Johnson in Michigan State in the NCAA championship when they were both seniors. You see, I remember that game. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And I really thought Indiana State was going to pull it out, but they didn't. And yet Larry Bird won more MVPs in the NBA than Magic Johnson did. Friends, both of these guys were good friends, even when they were on different teams. <laughs> and they did it in college as well as the NBA. And the interesting thing to me is this. Every time they came head-to-head, one of them was going to win and one was going to lose. You know, do you know that when you come into any type of altercation or roadblock or whatever it is in life, sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose. That's a certainty. Sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose. And you know, how you handle it is really the key. Just like the dash of life. There's a beginning on your gravestone and an end, but the dash of life is more important than either one. And your attitude between the wins and losses is more important than either one of those two. See, this is, this is what we have to grasp. And the Apostle Paul was exceedingly grateful to God, to the Lord, for his victories that he experienced as he gave himself over in faith as well as in faithfulness to God's purpose in his life. For his life was more of a, more of a purpose for others than it was for him. And you and I reap the benefit of the Apostle Paul. Every single day we open one of his letters. I don't know if he knew that or not. I don't know if the Apostle Paul knew that his letters would be compiled into the Word of God that would be the end all or not. For he wasn't in it for notoriety. And he is living proof that you can change when God comes into your life. And when he comes in, you are changed. And I want all of you to say something for me today. Because of Christ, I am changed. Do you believe that? Everybody here, everybody online, everybody at Mecca, you have to tell yourself this. Because of Christ, I am changed. And friends, if you aren't changed or you don't feel like you're changed, I wonder if Christ is there. Because if he is, you are changed. It's it's immediate, it's intentional, and it's forever if you want it to be. You are changed. And the only reason you're changed is because of him. And I can tell you, I've made a lot of changes in my life. A lot of them were my own doing. But when I met the Savior, he changed me. I mean, there is no question. And, and people noticed it right off the bat. And some people noticed it years, years later because they hadn't seen me since high school. And I'm going to tell you something. I was changed. I mean changed now. And some of it was immediate, and some of it God worked on for a while. And I, you know, and I had to admit it, sometimes he's still working on me. Any, anybody with me here? And we find that like Paul, we ought to always point to God as the source of everything that's good, beautiful, and significant. That's a winning combination. Paul won in everything that came his way. And the question is, how can we? And so as I began to think about that, it it, it dawned on me that we can win in our decisions. We can win in our decisions. And you're going to make one every day. Maybe multiple decisions in a day. Maybe multiple decisions about one or two things. You see, life is, I think, made up of decisions. And I have to be honest with you, some of them I don't want to make. Because it doesn't seem like e- either way I go, it's going to be good. 
right? But life is filled and made up of decisions. Now, we don't always want to make them, but make them we must. And when we don't, sometimes our indecision is a decision. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I want to make the right one. I want to make the right decision, particularly as it relates to eternity. Anybody with me here? Okay. So now we have to understand something. Some decisions now will involve free choice of what I consider multiple alternatives that seem to be available to us. And, and, and if you ever wanted to get a, a, a bird's eye view of that, take one of your grandchildren into a candy aisle. Okay, take yourself down there. I've seen, I, I have grandchildren and children that will make, they know what they're looking for, or, or some of them will just pick the biggest one, and they're out. And some of them will dance around with their hands in their pockets, answer their pants, can't make a decision, until you tell them, either pick something or you're not going to get anything, and then they'll grab something. Okay? That's how sometimes we make decisions. But we're all involved in this ability, in, as we're faced with multiple alternatives that are open to us. And others, then, will confront us with no alternatives except to do or not do what we know must be done. Okay? I want you to think about that for a minute. The only decision you'll have is to do or not do what you know has to be done. And if you're particularly brave or have courage, you'll probably make the right decision. And if you don't, then you probably won't. But the decisions we make from day to day determine, friends, our destiny. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You may think they don't, but I'm here to tell you that they do. Okay? And God gives us lots of free reign within our own wills. Have you noticed that? You know, I've said this a gazillion times. You know, God will tell you to go buy the new car if you want it bad enough. And he'll tell you not to if you don't. It's funny how God will absolutely, we're just sure God told us if it's something we want. Who's been there before? <laughs> yeah. And who among you is brave enough to admit that? See? So this is the way things work. In fact, where we are today in life, I think largely is dependent and determined by the choices we have made or we didn't make yesterday. And not a one of you in here could dispute that. Because you know it's true. Because every day we're confronted with all these many doors of opportunity. And every day you have life and breath, you have doors of opportunity in front of you. Some of these lead to success and happiness. Others lead to defeat and despair. And Lord knows I'd rather have the former rather than the latter. And I suspect you are there with me exactly. And it is of tremendous importance then that we uh, look to Christ who stands at every why in your life. Every single why. Christ stands right there at the why. Ready and willing to give every one of us, including you, guidance, which he hopes you will seek and accept to get you where he wants you to go, which will always be better for you, even if you don't think so. And I have news for you. This is absolutely necessary if you want to win. It's absolutely necessary if you want to win. Now, friends, I've done it both ways. <laughs> Anybody in here done it both ways? Really, I'm the only one in this whole facility that, that, that's only done it one way, and that's God's, right? Come on. Every single one of us has done it our way and God's way. And sometimes we've done it our way so much it didn't work. We think, okay, all right, I'll go do it God's way. <laughs> Who's done that? I know some of you have done because we've talked about it. Come on. You've done it both ways. You know you have. And I got news for you, probably going to today or tomorrow, too. Yeah? Face with both ways. And I can tell you without question, and I'll bet you agree with me, <laughs> which one works and which one doesn't. 
Amen? So, how do we win then? I think it ought to be obvious by now. I shouldn't have to do the last couple points in the first point. But sadly, I do. Because this is so simple, you wouldn't believe it. It's so simple that it's actually unbelievable. It relies, friends, get this, on this massive thing we call obedience. It all relies on obedience. And that's exactly where we most often struggle, is in our obedience. And if you're, if you're a big enough person to admit it, then you're likely well on your way to winning. But if you're going to be stubborn, dig your heels in, say, talk to the hand, or sit to shake your head, no, no, then I would say you're in trouble. And you know what? I've, I've done that too. And I found that it's just so much easier to surrender and do it. It's just so much easier and so much better to say, okay, God, and just do this. Okay. Right? It is. You know it is. But still, we might not. Because obedience is where we struggle. Through the truths of God's Word and the guidance of His Holy Spirit, He will help us to make the decisions, the Spirit will, that will lead to winning in life. And again, all we have to obey, all we have to do is obey when He comes to us and tells us. And I began to think about that, and I said, okay, is it really that simple? How about, do you, do you think it's really that simple? Or are some of you thinking, I don't think it's that simple. Well, allow God here to maybe convince you. Because I think, friends, when it isn't that simple, it isn't God that's made it difficult. We've made it difficult. We make it more difficult than it really is. I have seen people do that in a lot of different things that they do in life. I remember one time uh, I, was in, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, there were a couple guys, uh, and I was working on uh, one of my cars down at uh, uh, the auto. There's a, every Marine Corps base typically has an auto place where you can go down and do it yourself. You can, you can rent tools. Or you can take tools out. Uh, special Services runs it, and you can work on your car. And <laughs> there are cars of various stages of, you know, what looked like a car and what didn't. <laughs> down there, and, and I remember there were a couple of guys, they had a Camaro, uh, and it needed, uh, it needed uh, the transmission was blown in it, or wasn't working right, and this guy that worked there had um, a, a, a Camaro that was a little bit older, uh, but it was sitting, you know, in various stages of being a car, and so he told him, tell you what, I'm probably never going to get to this thing, I'm going to be leaving, I'm going to be PCS, I mean, leaving this station, you know, within the next three or four months. And I'm never going to get that car done. So I'm probably just going to part it out. And it's got a transmission under it. I don't know if it's the same one. Probably Turbo 350, just like what you have. So you guys, you guys just want to buy it? Well, how much? 75 bucks. Oh, yeah, man. Take one out, put the other one in. He said, I think you could be running this afternoon. You want to? We can put a transmission in one day. Yeah, sure can. And so this car was up on jacks, and these guys rolled up underneath of it. And I was working on my car about two cars down from them doing something. And you should have seen them. I'm thinking, what are, these, what are these two guys doing? Actually, I realized there were three of them. And they're all three. All I could see was their feet. And you should have heard the way they were talking. They had no idea what they were doing. And I'm thinking, guys, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. You know, detach the drive shaft. Pull it out. Make sure you don't drop all the little needle bearings in there. Right, Craig? Don't drop. Because you drop those out, it, 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 that sucks. <laughs> it just does. So don't let those fall out. Pull that thing out of the yoke, you know, uh, put something up underneath of it, uh, uh, you know, unbolt the cross member, unbolt the bolt, the, you know, the around bell housing, and, and un unplug the thing, and, uh, the speedo, and pretty, pretty much it'll drop right out of there and roll out. I don't think I missed anything, did I? No, the gear shift, that's right. Got to unhook the linkage. And you'll know real quick if you didn't. <laughs> and then it'll fall on you. But anyway, so, and, I, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, you know, and so finally I got on a creeper and I, I, I rolled, and I rolled up there with them like that here. And I'm looking at them like that here. And they turned and looked at me. And I look back at them and I go, what are you doing? Trying to get this transmission out. I said, guys, you're making this harder than it is. Undo this, 
take this off, take this off, take this off, unbolt those little bolts, and some of them you got to reach, you got to get to them. Some are from down here, some are from up there. You get them off, and I guarantee you, it's going to come out. But you haven't done anything. You sat around and talked about how to take a transmission out. You're making this harder than it is. Just take it out. Start taking stuff off. You can't really screw it up. You ain't putting it back in here anyway. It literally took those guys another half hour to decide what to do. And I finally just said, here. I started helping them. Here, take it out. I had that thing out in 15 minutes. I'm not kidding. It literally was that quick. Now, a car today, you might not do it that quickly. But back then... So I, I think we make things in life way harder than it is, and usually the way to get to that is just start. Just start it. Just start doing something. Why? Why do we make it more difficult than it is? Well, the truth of the matter is that many people who claim to be Christians are asking God for help in their decisions, but they're only part-time Christians. You know? These guys were part-time mechanics. If they'd have been full-time mechanics, they'd have been out. But they weren't. And so they were guessing and trying to decide the best way to do it. And the fact is, they didn't really want to do it. They wanted somebody to do it for them. And my question is, how badly do you want to drive this car today? How badly do you want to get off this base? Get it out. And if you're a part-time Christian, and a lot of us are, well, friends, (laughs) I think you're going to struggle in Christianity. I think you're going to struggle in life. You see, we only turn to God when we're part-time Christians, when something is out of our control, or whenever what we've done isn't working. And I know that because I've done it. I've done it. Is it any wonder that God doesn't seem to answer when you're a part-time Christian and only come to Him when you need something? Of course, that's the sermon for. Yeah. And again, what does it come down to? Simple obedience. Either I'm going to look to Christ, I'm going to listen to what he says, and follow through on the path that he leads me, because if I do, I win. And if not, perhaps I won't. Because I might win doing it myself sometimes. And the fact of the matter is, you're saying, but yeah, but sometimes you follow Christ's path and you don't always win. That's not true. It may not seem like you have, but you ultimately will. You see the difference? But what does Satan dangle in front of you? The carrot that says you can win without Christ. That's what he does. When, in fact, it's a certainty that without him, ultimately you won't win. Even if you have some wins in between. But with Christ, you always win, no matter what happens here. And that's what we have to face and look at today. And you know what's true? Sometimes I don't know I've lost until later. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know you've lost until down the road a little bit. And oftentimes it leads to a situation where it just can't be corrected. You can't go back. It's done. And I'll tell you this. If I could, I'd go back in life and correct a lot of things. Anybody here? But I can't. And I wish... I would have done what? Made a better decision, right? Done something different or not done something at all, right? This is how it works, but you can't. And here's what happens. When I get to that, all I'm left with is regret. Better to stay with God and win, right? Because here's what happens. If you don't, I assure you, you will be filled with regret. That's all you're going to have. Secondly, not only can you win in your decision, but you can win in your difficulties. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? No. Yeah, you can. You see, does anybody in here, anybody at home, anybody at Mecca, do you know for sure that there will be difficulties in your life? Does anybody know that there's going to be difficulties? Not if they come, but when. Now, some people are, are going to be naive And they have this naive and mistaken idea that if they trust Jesus Christ and try to always do what's right, that they will never have any great difficulty in life. But I don't think it takes very long for them to see this illusion shattered right before their very eyes. In a time or two, that's been me. In fact, friends, there's nothing in the Word of God that gives us the impression that everything is going to be rosy and peaceful 
if we simply have faith in God and just do the best we can. There's nothing in there. To say, and I've been through it quite a bit, actually. And I don't find it anywhere in there. And if, some of, if one of you has, please call my attention to it. I'd be interested in seeing that. But I think rather, instead of that, the Bible says that it may be just the opposite, you know? And when we come to Christ, when we obey his commands, which is what he demands anyway, and seek to lead others to do the same, I think we can be pretty sure that the enemy is going to oppose us. Anybody have experience with that? Just talked about that. As soon as you start doing well in life because you're following Christ, what happens? Here he comes. Come on now. And you know what? You knew because God warned you that it was going to happen. Okay? As an example, I don't think anybody in all the word of God suffered as much for his faithfulness to God as the Apostle Paul did. In fact, if, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in his own words, he says, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored, toiled, and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not also feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast on the things that show my weakness. Because the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Wow. And I began to think about that some, and I thought, wow. And I thought I had it bad. I thought it was tough for me. And don't tell yourself that you don't sit around sometimes when nobody's looking and have a pity party for you. Because you do. You have. And you will. <laughs> and God sometimes will come along and he'll grab me, uh, usually where Pastor Chris is sitting a little bit down here, where he'll, he'll grab me and, 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 and he'll put his arms around me and say, it's all right. I know you're weak right now. I get it. But remember who you serve. I'm right here. I've always been here. And sometimes he'll, he'll stand there with his hand on his hip and say, really, Pastor? Really? <laughs> Did you come in here to seek yourself or did you come in here to seek me? I mean, who, who, who are you seeking? What are you seeking? Why are you doing it? What, what exactly are you doing? And as I look at the Apostle Paul, I think, okay, I don't know that anybody in the history of our nation has really suffered quite like Paul did. Now, we, we've had some suffering for sure. For our beliefs, yes. For our, you know, independence, yes. During our Civil War, yes. People, su yes, I, I, I understand all that. And I, I suspect there's going to be <laughs> a little more suffering coming. Okay, I, I, no question. But no, I don't think anybody in our nation has suffered for their faith in God. Or their faith in any other God, by the way, that doesn't exist. Quite like Paul did. Overseas, yeah. This happened there. And maybe that possibility gives us a little deeper and stronger faith for others that here in the U.S., well, perhaps we ought to take note of that. Maybe we've got it too easy. Maybe we have it too good. And that well may be why our faith and our brand of Christianity isn't exactly what God, what God demands it to be. But again, that is also a sermon. Yeah. We've got to take things in perspective. But again, to think about that for a little bit, and I go, okay, so if that's true, then how do I win in my difficulties? 
Okay, maybe I'm convinced that I can win in my decisions. Maybe, maybe you brought enough of that home. But what about in my difficulties? Because in my difficulties, that's the hardest time for me to see anything positive. And the last thing I think about is winning because I'm already defeated. Right? I'm already defeated. I watched my son, who was a tremendous wrestler. I watched him exude this confidence as a junior in high school. And I knew that if he did everything right, there was a very good chance that he would probably wrestle for the state championship. And not only that, might well win it. Now, postscript to the story is he didn't, because he didn't do everything right. You can't eat like a fat man and make weight. It doesn't work. You've got to bump up to a, you know, and I'll never forget the day that Frank said, Dad, we have a problem, come here. And we went over to the ghost, which was this little white car we had. We called it the ghost. Anyway, and so opens up the door, and Frank, what was in, and that's the car that Tim drove, by the way, and what did you find in that car? You want to tell them? Little Debbie's. More, not just one, right? How many little Debbie's were in there, son? It was, a t- it was loaded. You, you, you could and pull them out. And I said, Tim, this is why you're bumping to 125 and not 119. This is why. Well, I don't know where. I don't know what's happening. I can't keep the weight off. I suppose not. <laughs> See, this is, this is how we operate. He didn't do it right. But more than that, here's another thing. Because he had to bump up to another weight class, he wasn't as strong as other people were at 125. That's a fact. Okay? So he's good. He's real good. And he's going to win most of his matches. And he did. He went all the way to the semi-state. And all he had to do was win one more match, and he goes to state. But at semi-state, everybody's good. Everybody. Okay? And so this is what happened. And he'll tell you this day, he regrets it. But I watched him at 125 at semi-state walking along the mat like he always did, trying to loosen up, getting ready, looking across the mat at the kid he's going to face, Cash Caroga out of Ben Davis. And I'm going to tell you something. Everybody so far fell to Cash Caroga. And the confidence I always saw in my son was not there that day. He was already defeated before he ever got on the mat. He was defeated before he ever stepped out, and he did lose to him. Not only did he lose to him, he hurt him. He hurt, hurt Tim good. Hurt him. Had, had messed up his shoulder. And, and, and friends, I'm telling you. And, and you know, what I wanted to say to him was, you know what, son? Two things. Maybe if he had a little more confidence, it wouldn't have been so bad. But the fact of the matter is, he couldn't have confidence because he knows at 119, he'd have had that confidence, probably would have gone all the way to the top. But at 125, different ball game. And all he had to do was stay disciplined, not eat little Debbie's and everything else he wasn't supposed to be eating. Now, I'm not digging at the little Debbie distributors. It's not their fault. <laughs> right? Because that's what we'll do as humans. We'll say, well, it's their fault they put him out there. See, this is, this is how we, and I'm not picking on my son. You know why? Because he got it from somewhere. And I'll tell you what, you can say, well, he got it from you because you've done it. Yes, I have. And he, and he can blame you because you've done it too and he's watched you. And you know what else? And you know what? You, you, you can blame Satan because that's where the fall began. But you've got to blame Adam and Eve for making the choice. You see, friends, this is who we are. We still have our choices. We still have our choices. And I know what you're thinking. Did you say we can win in our difficulties? Are you suggesting, Pastor, that we can win in difficult times? Wait a minute. I've gone through difficult times, and it never felt like a win to me. Yes, I know. Me too. But you and I both know that we will all have difficulties and trials. That's inevitable. They're going to come. So be ready for them when they do. You know they're coming. And again, all we have to do is look at the Apostle Paul for this amazing example. When Paul wrote to the church at Caesarea Philippi, he expressed joy over the fact that all of the things that happened to him, get this, of all the things that happened to him, he actually was able to help advance the kingdom of Christ and work to enlarge the cause of Christ 
because of what happened to him. Even while in prison. He says so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but as I look at this, I want this kind of faith and this kind of confidence in the difficult times. Do you? But you see, but Paul isn't finished. He also wrote that through Jesus Christ, he found strength, get this, in all circumstances of life. He found strength in all circumstances of life. Philippians 4.13, For I can do everything through Christ. Yeah, you can finish it, can't you? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Notice Paul didn't say he could do some things. Nor did he say he found strength in some circumstances. No, it was in everything, and it was all the time. And there's something else that God wants us to know. Clearly, as I begin to read this, Paul was not writing about some tremendous achievement of a spectacular nature. No, he was writing about finding strength through Christ in order, get this, to adjust himself to the most deprived of circumstances. Let me explain that. In other words, what he's saying is to win in Christ during the most difficult times, his attitude is the first thing that needed to change. <laughs> Say it isn't so. <laughs> in the most difficult of circumstances, his attitude needed to change. Have you ever prayed, Lord, don't change who I'm at odds with, change me? Boy, that's liberating. Why haven't we? Because we don't want our attitudes to change because we like them, thank you very much. And we think we're justified in it. I'm still not going to be ready to listen to reason. And I've told God that too. God says, I know. So when do you think you will be? <laughs> and you know, I never can answer him. Because I don't want my attitude to change. I want God to change somebody else's attitude or even change his sometimes. Has anybody ever thought that maybe God ought to change his attitude? Oh, nobody else has ever done that. Nobody else has ever thought that God needed to change his attitude, not me. Ah. Funny how that kind of works sometimes. You see, Paul found that he needed to trust Christ even when he didn't understand. When it wasn't fair. And he needed to trust him when there didn't seem to be a way out or an end to his struggle. Lord knows I've been to all of those. And when he stood firm in the Lord, Paul proved that Christ had given us the ability to win even in our time of greatest difficulty. And so in other words, when the tough times came, he didn't blame Christ for them. Instead, he turned to Christ in order to get through them. Now, I think that many of us either can't completely surrender and give it all to God, or if we do try to turn it over to God, sometimes we give up too soon. Has anybody done that, given up too soon? Well, it doesn't seem to be working, so I'm going to do it my way now. I mean, God, you know, I, I, God, you know, I, I gave you your time. I, I tried. Or, or, see, we won't actually tell God that because we know that's bad. So we'll tell another Christian, well, I, I tried. I tried. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because if you try with God, you'll always succeed. Can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, well, I'm trying. No, you're not. Because in Christ, if you try, you'll always succeed. It may take a little longer than you like. For some, it might take a lifetime. That's a long time. It may not always be in the way you want it. It might not be with the circumstances that you want. And the outcome might not be what you like it to be either. 
But if you try with Christ, you'll always succeed. How do I know? Because if you look for Christ, you will always find him. So what are we talking about here? He's perfection. We are not. So, as you think about this whole thing, sometimes we don't see things happening, and so we assume they won't, right? It's almost like, you know, I, I went down that road with God, but I didn't see anything happening, so I turned around and went back. Has anybody done that? I've done it. Now, I'm reminded of Palm Sunday because everybody was on the Jesus bandwagon that day. I mean, the Romans never were. And, and, and the, you can believe that the Jewish leaders, they were there, though. You know, the Jewish leaders were always against him, but they were there at this triumphal entry, and they did it to see what he would do. Because everybody wanted him to throw the Romans out. Apparently, they thought he could do it. Now, if you thought that this guy could actually throw the Romans out, that would tell you a little bit about him, wouldn't it? So what's your problem with him then? Well, you know what the problem is. He didn't do it in the manner and way in the time that they wanted. He wasn't their puppet. That's what they wanted. They wanted him to be their puppet. Now, don't tell me you've never tried to reverse the roles between you and God. We point a finger at them and say, how could you even think such a thing? And yet we do it quite often, actually. Nobody in here has ever told God what they think ought to happen. Interesting. So they're on the bandwagon, on the Jesus bandwagon on Sunday, but by Thursday they wanted to kill him. Boy, that was a quick turnaround, wasn't it? Why? Because he wouldn't and couldn't do what they wanted in the manner and the way and the timing that they demanded? That's why? Shame on you, Pharisees. Shame on you, leaders. Shame on you, people. I would never do that. Would I? Would you? I know we look at these people back then and think how wrong and silly they were, but don't we sort of do the same thing? Isn't it just a different time, maybe a different way? And this is a perfect time to consider our last point. We can even win in defeat. You, you can't do that in almost anything else, but with Him you can. The Word of God tells us of many who won in their defeats and disappointments, and yet there are so many examples in the Scripture of those who actually won in defeat. I will simply call your attention to Joseph. In fact, to me, more than anybody else in Scripture, Joseph is an example of one who experienced some serious defeats in life, and yet God was always at work in his life to help him experience this victory that he ultimately received. You see, Joseph, unlike us oftentimes, had this unbelievable faith in God along with this amazing integrity and a desire for personal purity toward God. So instead of remaining a slave or a prisoner his whole life, and that easily could have happened, with his own choices, mind you, if he makes the wrong choice here, he's either a slave or a prisoner for the rest of his life. Anybody? If he makes the wrong choice, just one. One. And his whole life hinged on it, both times. You see that? No dispute here. But instead of remaining those things, he becomes the ruler of Egypt and the supreme commander of Egypt's armed forces. Second only to Pharaoh. And when Joseph attained this, it was when Egypt was at the height of her power. No small feat toward a people from a guy who came from a people that they hated. Only God could do that. Okay. What about Ezekiel? Love this guy. We don't talk enough about him. We really don't. Trained to be a priest in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, invades the country. Man. And just, you know, <laughs> completely destroys all his plans. Oh, yeah, right? Wreck, wreck everything he had planned. 
And so Ezekiel is one of the captives who goes back into the land of Babylon. And when he's there, he has this vision. And God responded with faith and, and commitment to him. And God used him to be this great prophet to the exile. So instead of being destroyed by defeat and captivity, he experienced triumph. He was everything that God needed him to be and more. And you know what? He was more effective in captivity than he ever would have been free. Why? Because everybody didn't need God when they were free, but in captivity they sure did. Isn't that interesting? In other words, if we as a nation came under captivity or lost all of our rights and privileges, maybe we'd hate it, but we might become better Christians because of it. Now, I'm not saying I want it to happen, but I think it's inevitable that it might. Yeah, just throwing that out there. What about Daniel? In the same general time period, Daniel also taken as a captive into the land of Babylon. And instead of giving up, pouting, crying, and asking, why? I didn't do anything wrong. And he didn't. And he didn't blame shift either, like oftentimes we'll do. He determined instead to be faithful to God, and God used this young man, this one young man, and he too eventually became second only to the king in the country. <laughs> Again, only God could do that. Now, I'm not telling you that someday one of you will become vice president. God's going to do it. But what I am saying to you that there's nothing God can't do. If your attitude is right, if you're surrendered and you're willing, you see, friends, we're just like these three guys. We are. How do I know? Because God gave us the win. He's already done it. God has already given every single one of you the win. And right now, you're thinking of all the garbage you've got to go through tomorrow or sometime later in the week or whatever, where, where, whatever it's going to be or the stuff you don't even know about yet. But God's already given you the win. He's already delivered you. Who? All of us. And I hope you can see it, but sometimes we don't. Through Christ, we can win over temptation, even when we've already been defeated in the past by the evil one and all his followers. And even when we fall or fail, God offers forgiveness, doesn't he? And after that, cleansing and restoration, doesn't he? I know that because I've been there more times than I want to be. But he always came through. And hopefully I've learned something from it when I do it. You see, there is no situation where God cannot restore you other than blasphemy toward the Holy Spirit. And other than that, nothing. 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 But what about nothing? In fact, you can even win over death, and you have. I think perhaps the greatest defeat that a human faces is actually physical death. But it's deeper than that. It's just death in general. Let me tell you why. Because there are two types of death. There's physical and there's spiritual. And understand the difference between the two. Because even over this enemy, God will give his children the win through and with our faith in Christ. He always has. And if we really put things into perspective... Physical death isn't really our enemy. We make it that, but it really isn't. Because for the unsaved, it's absolutely the pathway to the real enemy, which is spiritual death. You understand that? For the unsaved, physical death is the pathway to eternal death. But for you and I, it isn't. Which is why it's not our enemy. <clears throat> you see, spiritual death is the enemy of all humankind. It always has been. But physical death for the Christian is a win because it brings the new life in eternity. And I want to say praise God for the resurrection of Christ, which absolutely gives us the win. And as our worship team comes, Scotty, move forward. A few thoughts I want to share with you. The first one is a challenge. And the question is, will you join the Apostle Paul in saying, now, Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And, and I think perhaps the second one is we, another challenge. Maybe we ought to express this gratitude today. You see, we ought not wait till tomorrow to express our thanksgiving and our gratitude, to express our greater 
how greater much our wins are. Because the greater our faith, the greater our wins will be through Christ. It's always that way. None of us knows what's going to happen in the future. Not really, we don't. And I don't know if the pandemic is going to return. I don't know if our nation is going to collapse in the next few years. I don't know if there's going to be a greater division and more hatred. I don't know if the true church will become persecuted and hunted. But I do know that Jesus is going to return. I do know that. And I have faith beyond faith that he is real. That he is truthful. That he gives us promises. And that he's going to make good on every single one of them. And I know that when he returns, wherever I happen to be, whether here on earth or in the grave, guess what? I win. And I can't make you know that. Either you do or you don't, and he's the one that's going to give it to you. Either you believe it or you don't. Because I know that if you do, you and I will be with him. And when that day comes, he will rise and smile. He will reach out. He will take my hand. He will take your hand. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here is your reward. Here is your reward, just as I promised. Friends, I would say that's for sure a win, isn't it? And the only question today is, will you choose it? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.